My name's Brian Bird. I'm the executive pastor here at Christ Fellowship, and um, my my brilliant and lovely wife Stephanie and I have been members here at Christ Fellowship for about seven years, and we have three awesome children. We just delight in our children. They are just a delight for us, um, Allison, Austin, and Wyatt. And, um, you know, I wasn't going to do this, but I'm, I'm seeing a number of new faces. So, so, so my story is my mom led me to know the Lord when I was five years old uh, and uh, grew up in church uh, doing sword drills, memorizing scripture uh, every Sunday, most Wednesdays, that sort of thing. Uh, but God really got a hold of me in college. Uh, Stephanie and I have been married uh, 20 years, and it wasn't until we got here at Christ Fellowship that God really took us by the hand and led us into life in the Holy Spirit of God. And it has been an absolute delight. Um, for those of you that are new, uh, Christ Fellowship was started 22 years ago by Jamie and Kim Miller. Uh, Jamie is on a sabbatical uh, for the next couple of months, and he will return in August. So between now and then, we're doing a sermon series called, Is There More? Uh, they asked me to preach today, I'm convinced, because it's Memorial Day weekend. Traditionally, this is the absolute lightest attended Sunday. <laughs> and uh, they figure, well, he can only do so much damage uh, compared to another Sunday. A uh, little bit on, on my story, I, I uh, started off in business and then uh, went to medical school and uh, practiced for a while, then uh, back in business, and then uh, we sold our business a year and a half ago, took a year off, and then for the last nine months, we've been the executive pastor here at Christ Fellowship, and guys, I've just loved it. It has just been an absolute ball. There's some cool stuff happening. Uh, our uh, pastor of elementary school children and families. Nicole Blaska has gotten a word from the Lord uh, to have our elementary school kids teaching, leading worship, leading the word for the younger kids. And this morning they were doing that in our pre-KK room. And you get this multi-generational discipleship stuff. And uh, God gave that to her. Starting in the fall, our elementary kids will be doing what's called core for kids. And a lot of the stuff that we do in core, we'll be doing with our elementary school kids. And what, Nicole, what Nicole was explaining to us was, was, why do we wait till we're adults till we teach believers how to share their faith, how to hear from the Lord, how to worship? Why do we wait? They can do it right now. And so that's getting started. I'm so excited about stuff like that and the people that uh, I'm getting to work with. You saw Brian Brush up here earlier. He's a delight. John Pinkerton, Aaron Soans. Micah Sharsberg, who's not here. It's just, a, it's just a wonderful, wonderful staff. Forgive me for those that I've left out. Okay, well, let's jump in here. Uh, we're talking about making sense of suffering. If you saw the outline, which is a very heavy topic, how does it fit into is there more? It fits in there this way. Suffering, pain, is a ubiquitous, universal human experience. We've all experienced it. We're either experiencing it right now, or we're about to experience it, or we're just coming out of it. Am I right? <clears throat> the reason it fits into is there more is because we have to ask ourselves the question, why is God allowing this to happen to me? Just like David said in the Psalms over and over again, God, why have you forsaken me? 
And we have to say, is there more to my suffering than just I'm in this thing all alone? God doesn't know me and doesn't care about me. Is there something more than that? Because right now, there better be or I'm not going to make it. And before we jump into reading the, the passage that um, I, I think is just wonderful for capturing a system for understanding how we make sense of it, and I tell you this, our hope is only in the power of God working in the hearts of people. There's nothing else that is our hope. It's our hope for today, and it's our hope for our future. It's our hope for our children. The triune God of the universe, when he came to earth 2,000 years ago, at the beginning of Christianity, when Jesus came, folks, it was both a catastrophic and the most wonderful event that has ever happened. It was catastrophic because God was killed, and it was wonderful because he did it for us. He'd have done it for you if you were the only human that had ever existed. Christianity is not a system in which we make sense of suffering. Jesus is suffering. He is our meaning in suffering. And I can tell you this, if you were to try to just give one little bullet point on the meaning of suffering and making sense of it as a Christian, it would be something like this. The ultimate power and meaning being in the universe is both loving and righteous. The triune God of the universe is loving and righteous as he has shown and demonstrated by the way, I, um, I really don't like boiling things down into one sentence to try to capture something like the, making sense of suffering. There have been brilliant people who have written tomes on this subject and have just scratched the surface. Uh, I think that's why I used to always get so ticked off when I saw that bumper sticker that said, Wagmore, bark less. Do you all know the bumper sticker I'm talking about? You ever seen it? Wagmore... Bark less. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Right? And for the longest time, I'd see it, and it would just I'd get mad. I'm like, why am I mad? That's a good thing. We, we, we should all do that. But the reason, the reason I was mad is because if you've ever had your buttons pushed, if you've really been ever really angry, and your fallen nature is rising up in you, oh, all I have to do is wag more, bark less. Oh, I didn't realize. I didn't know it was that easy. Thank you. So, so we have to be careful with these pithy aphorisms, right? Because God has made us much more complicated than that. And he is much more deep than that. And if you've ever been through some serious suffering, and if I took a poll of people to raise your hands in here, I bet almost everybody in this room will raise their hands. Almost everybody here has been in the dark place and asking God, why have you forsaken me? Well, with that introduction, let's read this um, scripture. If you guys, Mike or John, put it up there, and and that of uh, to honor to honor Jamie, who has had us on this tradition of uh, standing and then um, uh, reading the word together. In just a minute, I'll ask us to stand. Uh, I'll read through this, and then I'll say the word of the Lord, and then in honor of God's word, we will all say together. Thanks be to God. Sound good? So if you all don't mind, uh, please stand. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. 
Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groans that words cannot express. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great. Thank you. Please have a seat. In life, there's a, there's a rhythm to it. If you are a believer, you know that there's suffering and there's joy. There's suffering and there's joy. There's groaning and there's hoping and it goes back and forth and it will always be that way until we are united with our Lord. And so the first part of the sermon, we're going to talk about the reasons we suffer. And I'm going to tell some stories in the hopes that you will relate to these in some way and God will begin to work on your heart and help you with wherever you are. It's important that we don't rush to Sunday, but we spend some time at the cross first on Good Friday. Spend some time at the cross in his suffering and his death before we rush to Easter Sunday and the resurrection because the more time we spend at the cross, the more glorious is the resurrection for us. So why do we suffer? We suffer because our bodies are weak. If you're over 40, you know that sometimes just sleeping too long can get you, right? I mean, if I sleep eight hours straight, I wake up and my back is jacked up, right? I don't know if you all have that experience too. Yeah, back there. And you're like, what the world is that all about? My good friend, Fred Rome, lost his wife, Tiffany, in January, four months ago. Fred and Tiffany had been married 22 years. Tiffany was a three-sport star in high school. She was an avid snow skier, an absolute delight, loved the Lord. Two years into their marriage, 20 years ago, she was struck with a severe case of multiple sclerosis. It was a severe case, so much so that she spent the rest of her life in a wheelchair or in a walker. Barely able sometimes to move her hand from the plate to her mouth to feed herself. It was an awful thing to happen to any human being or any couple. And I always wondered, what if that had happened to me? What would it be like? What suffering would I have endured? What depression would I have endured? What awkwardness, what social awkwardness would it be for all of us? Fred and Tiffany stuck with each other. They had a wonderful support system. One day Fred came running out of the office and I said, Fred, where are you going? Are you okay? He said, yes, Brian. She fell four hours ago over the dishwasher. She's been stuck there and just was able to move her hand enough to touch the button. And he was running out with tears in his eyes to pick up the love of his life and put her back and take care of her. In November of this year, the multiple sclerosis proceeded and progressed such that she lost complete use in one of her legs. To get around the house, she would propel herself by pulling with just one leg. Because she did that kind of awkwardly, she developed a wound on one of her hips. That wound got worse. Despite the best medical treatment, she found herself confined to her bed. The wound continued to get worse, 
And on January 20, at the end of the day, Fred went home. He's taking care of her. And as he picked her up to put her in bed, a blood clot that was in her leg that he didn't know was there floated upstream, went right through her heart, into her right pulmonary artery, and completely obliterated the function of her right lung. She went completely unconscious. Her heart stopped beating. He was able to bring her back. She made it to the hospital alive, and she lasted about 14 hours. And Tiffany Rome left the land of the dying and went to the land of the living with her Savior. We groan because these bodies that we are in, whether we like it or not, are weak. That is an extreme example, but everybody here has suffered in some way or is going to suffer physically during this lifetime. Why else do we suffer? We suffer because the world presses in on us. One of the most common things we treat in medicine is major depressive disorder. One of the more common scenarios that comes up is a young woman, usually in her late 20s, with two or three kids, has just lost her marriage. She's going through a divorce, and she shows up, and she says, Doctor, I can't concentrate where the darn. I don't have any energy. I can't sleep right at night. I don't want to eat. I have no enjoyment in anything that I do. I have a depressed mood. You've got to help me. I can't go on living like this. And if any of you are trained in psychology, you know that those are all the classic symptoms of depression. If any of you have suffered from depression, you recognize some of those things because you have experienced the darkness of depression that pervades every part of your life when it afflicts you. And one of the things we've got to get past in evangelical Christianity is that if you're suffering from depression, it's because you don't have your spiritual life in order. One of the things that I pray as often as I can with my patients who are suffering from depression is this, Lord, this is bigger than we are, but it's not bigger than you. Please help us. Solomon knew this. Proverbs 18, somewhere in 18. He says, a person can stand underneath a broken body but who can bear a broken spirit? A person can stand a broken body. Who can bear underneath a broken spirit? It is absolutely debilitating to us. We suffer because the world presses in on us. We also suffer because of our own stupid mistakes. Amen? Amen? Come on, let's hear it. All right? We suffer because we're fallen, because we're broken. Didn't necessarily have to be that way, but that's the way we are. It's like G.K. Chesterton said, <clears throat> the one doctrine that is unbelievably, unquestionably, and undiludedly supported in all of history is original sin. <clears throat> Two thousand twelve was one of the most difficult years of my life. It was horrible. What had happened to us is we had made some mistakes early on in our business, and for a while things were going great. But then in about a ten day period, we realized we had been making some serious mistakes. A little bit later, 
we got a letter and we realized this business that we thought was doing very, very well is absolutely on fumes. It's, it's on life support. We realized we had two choices. We could either shut the whole thing down and spend the next 10 years paying everybody off, or we could jump in and try to revive, resuscitate it, and bring it back, knowing full well that if we chose the latter option, it would take years to do, we'd be working for free that entire time, and we'd be working 60 to 80 hours a week, and it still might not make it. It was a horrible time for us, and it was all brought on because I didn't pay attention to one critical piece of the company. I had no one else to blame but myself. What compounded the difficulty for us, besides the fact that I was questioning my abilities, I was questioning my confidence, is that I had to make decisions in the company. I had to release a couple of people, and I had to make cuts in some people's salaries. And people would look me in the eye and say, you call yourself a Christian, but I know it really matters to you. And people were writing things about me on Facebook, and I could say absolutely nothing to defend myself. It was an absolute dark time. Anybody ever see the movie Moneyball with Brad Pitt about Bobby Bean, the general manager of the Oakland A's? I bring this up because of the scene in the movie, and when I was going through this, I watched it, and I was like, that's me right now. That is me. I tell you, I appreciate the artists, the writers, the actors, because... They are able to tell us about ourselves in ways we could never get on our own. God has gifted artists with the ability to tell us who we are, what life is about, who God is in ways that we wouldn't be able to do on our own. There are a lot of artists here at Christ Fellowship. There are a ton of them. And it beautifies who we are. I'm particularly grateful for it because I have like zero artistic ability in me. Like none. The scene that jumped out of me and just absolutely gripped my soul with identification went like this. Bobby Bean had an idea. He was going to choose baseball players based on statistical analysis and go against every bit of wisdom in all of Major League Baseball. He began making decisions on players that no one else would ever make. Everybody looked at what he was doing and said, you're an absolute fool, you're going to fail, you're going to look like a fool, don't do it. But he pressed on because he believed in it. Two months into the season, everybody's prediction about how it would go came true. And things were going terrible for the Oakland A's. They were the laughingstock of baseball. And of course, he was the centerpiece of that. It was an incredibly difficult time for him. And the scene was this. He used to drive his truck down by one of the wharfs in Oakland and scream at God or scream at the stars or work things out. And he's listening to the radio and he's listening to sports talk radio, which he should never have done. Because <laughs> people were saying things about him that no human being should really ever say about another human being, but that's how you sell radio ad. And he's, he's got this look of lament on his face. And I saw it and I recognized it. And, and, and you have to picture this. So he's driving, and the camera is taking a side look at his face. And he shuts the radio off, and he's driving. And with this complete feeling of lament, he says, 
what the heck am I doing? What am I doing? What have I done? I can't take it back. I can't believe God I said what I said. What in the world have I done? If you've never experienced that, can I tell you, you are going to experience that someday in life. And I'm going to tell you here in a little bit that it's okay. But if you've ever experienced that, where God's pushing you out to the edge of the limb, He's wanting you to try something, He's wanting you to go plant a church, He's wanting you to start a new ministry, He's wanting you to start a business, He wants you to do something that's unorthodox because He wants to get you right where He wants you, and He's pushing you out to the end of the limb, and you look back and He says, no, I want you to go further. And just as you get to the edge of the limb and it's starting to bend, you look back back at Him and He's sawing off the limb. (laughs) Have you ever been there? The reason that God allows us and pushes us to get there is because of this. Until He gets you and me to the place where we don't rely on anything but His power, He cannot use us fully for His purposes on the earth. That's just the way it is. It is the yin and the yang. It is the suffering and the joy. And unless He's going to take you through the suffering, He really doesn't... He's not able to get you where He really wants you to be. Well, that's a segue into the second part of this sermon, which is that there is hope for us. That word hope is in the Greek. Guys, I need a drink of water. Hang on a second here. Pardon me. Thank you. Everybody doing okay? Yeah. That word uh, hope in the Greek is all throughout the New Testament. Uh, Paul used it several times in the Romans 8 passage we just used. He used it in Romans 5. Peter uses it when he says that, that verse that we all memorize if we grow up in church, be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. The Apostle John uses it in 1 John when he says, since we have this hope, let us purify ourselves. And what they're referring to is both the hope of eternity, but they are also referring to the hope that God gives us right now because the triune God of the universe is relational and understands that through relationships, he is going to pull us through things. So what are the reasons that we hope? I hope this encourages you. Sure that it will. Remember this. There can't be hope without suffering. Right? Because if everything was just happy, happy all the time, there'd be nothing to hope for. God gives us hope because the reality is is that we will suffer in this lifetime. Well, why can we hope? We can hope because the Spirit is going to mature us. I grew up in the church, and I'm, I'm really glad that I did. Um, and I was around a lot of teaching and scriptures and, and um, learned a lot of stuff, probably so that I could just tell other people what I know. But anyway, some of it stuck. And uh, one of the things that happens in the Pauline epistles is the apostle says, look, when bad things happen, that's going to produce 
perseverance, and that's going to perseverance is going to produce character, and then that's going to produce something else. And then there's a string of these things that aren't very fun, but then when you get to the other one, there's glory, right? Now here's the deal. You don't have to know all the steps in between because I can never remember them. All you got to know is this. There's going to be suffering in your life. It's a universal, ubiquitous experience. Praise be to God that he is going to pull you through some things so that on the other side of it, whether it takes a week or a year or ten years, he is going to produce in you something that he couldn't otherwise have produced. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Some of you are on this journey, but you feel like you're stuck right in here and you're not able to go to these next steps. Can I tell you it's okay? Keep pushing through. Get in community and have somebody put their hands on your, sh- on your shoulders and pray you through that. I've been there and God has pulled me through it and He can pull you through it as well. Because He wants to do in you what He talks about in that James 1, 2, 3, 4 stuff where He says, I want to produce in you somebody who lacks nothing. I want to produce in you the right sort of independence. I want to produce the right sort of spiritual maturity. If you're a parent or if you're discipling somebody right now, that is a great prayer to pray over those human beings, that they would have the right sort of independence, that they would have the right spiritual maturity. One of my favorite stories about this happened in 1970 when a young man who was 39 years old at the time, brilliant writer, attorney, and he got appointed to be special counsel to the President of the United States. He had an office in the White House next to Richard Nixon. Some said he was the most powerful man in the, in the world because whatever he whispered into President Nixon's ear is what ended up happening. Five years later, he found himself in jail over his involvement in the Watergate scandal. Before he ended up in jail, the Lord got a hold of him. Before that, he was an absolute despicable person. He really was. He's told me that he was. But God got a hold of him and literally Chuck Colson cried himself into the kingdom of God. There were tears of joy and there were tears of sadness and there were tears of release and freedom from bondage. While he's in jail in a federal penitentiary in Alabama, God says, I want you to look at all these men around you. These are your people now. When you get out of here, I want you to come back and I want you to take care of them because nobody else is doing it. These are the last, the least, and the lost in our society. And we've put them away so we don't have to deal with them anymore. But these are the people I want you to spend the rest of your life loving just the way that I loved you, Chuck. Out of that, God worked through Chuck, grew the largest prison ministry in the world. It's the largest prison ministry in the United States. It's in 140 countries. And by the way, there are now a number of awesome other prison ministries out there. God just just grew up all this stuff. The stories that have come out of that of people who used to be murderers, people who used to be bank robbers, people who used to be drug dealers who are now leading churches is unbelievable. Why? God first had to take him through a time of suffering and breaking him down. Chuck's life verse was Isaiah 42, 6, and it says this. It says, a bruised reed he will not break. Later on in the verse, it says, a dimly burning wick he will not snuff out. Okay, have you ever been there? 
God has given us a reserve. He's given us a psychological reserve, a physical reserve, and we can live on that for a while, but then eventually we will be in trouble. We will come to our end. And that point is where he says, I've got you right where I want you. Thornton Wilder wrote a play. It's a very short play, which is why I think I like it so much. The play is called this. It's called The Angel That Stirs the Waters. In it, there's a doctor. It's another reason I think I like it so much. He's suffering from severe depression. And he goes to the pool where if you jump in, you can get healing. Other people are jumping in, but every time he tries to jump in, the angel pushes him back and pushes him back. He tries again and again, but repeatedly the angel says, no, the healing is not for you, the healing is not for you. The doctor says, but angel, I can't go on living like this. What am I going to do? The angel says, but doctor, without your pain, where would your power be? It is your melancholy that puts the trembling in your deep voice when you speak into the hearts of men and women. Not even a whole angel army could speak into the hearts of men and women like one human being who's been broken on the wheels of living. In love's service, doctor, only wounded soldiers can serve. Powerful illustration of Isaiah 42. Well, let's finish up here. We hope because of the church. So Jesus doesn't say, I am the groom. Tony, you are the bride, right? He says the church is the bride. What does it mean? It means a lot of things. One of them is this, that when we are suffering, we are in it together. When Stephanie and I were going through that time of our lives, we shared that information with just a few people. One Sunday, right out here in this hallway, one of them came up and said, Come here, you two. I've got to talk to you. I just had a dream about you last night. She put her hands out like this, and she said, Here's the deal. You were in a field, and it was thunderstorming, and you were getting absolutely pounded by the lightning and the rain and the hail, and then all of a sudden a covering came over you, and you were okay. And God wants you to know. He knows you, and he's for you, and he's going to take care of you. Can I tell you something? I used to think that that sort of thing was for weak Christians. I thought it was bad theology. But can I tell you this? If people were not praying us through that, if people were not giving us words from the Lord, we might not have made it. The notion that the triune God of the universe would tell some other believer, I want you to tell Brian and Stephanie, I know what you're going through and it's going to be okay, just absolutely blew me away. And it was like a handle for us to grab onto and pull along for a little bit longer. This is not in the notes, but a little bit later in the, in the chapter 8, he says, no one can bring a charge against his elect. What does it mean? It means this. No matter what mistake you've ever made in your life, no matter what skeleton you've got in the closet, no matter what past is in this room, no one can say that you are not known, loved, valuable, and precious to him, and that he knows everything that you're going through. You want to know why? Because none of them died for you. Only he can say that. And you would have to roll back everything he did on Calvary for that to happen. If you're sitting right where you are right now, he's saying to you this, no matter where you are in this process, 
no matter what guilt you're feeling, no matter what you've done, no matter where your life is now compared to where you thought it would be, I dare you to believe that I love you right where you are. I dare you to believe I love you the way that you are and not the way you should be because you never will be the way you should be. Can I encourage you that the great God of the universe, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship with each other wants to tell you this morning through another believer, through his word, and maybe through me, that he knows exactly what you're going through and that he loves you and that he's for you. Lastly, why can we hope? We hope despite our bodies being weak because he will redeem our bodies one day. It is a Christian hope that he will redeem these bodies. I've spent hundreds of hours in nursing homes. That experience will make one long for the redemption of our bodies. Let me finish by winding up with the story about Tiffany Rome who went to be with the Lord. Where is the hope in that? Where is the hope in a couple who suffered for 20 years and then to have it end catastrophically? One of the places where the hope is, I got to see firsthand on the day that Tiffany died, up at the hospital, the church showed up in droves. They were a hundred or more strong, spilling out of the waiting room, into the hallway, loving, supporting, praying, crying with Fred and the boys and Tiffany's family who was there. God has given us each other. If you are not in a life group, let me encourage you, get in one where somebody can pray for you. Get into a life group. Get into a place where you feel safe enough to go like this and rip open your heart and let it spill out to someone so that they can speak the power and love of God into your life. Well, I see Fred quite often, and I know Fred well. I know him well enough to ask him, how are you doing? And we've had a number of conversations over the past four months. I'm not going to tell you what I said because that's personal. And by the way, Fred gave me permission to share this story this morning. But I can tell you this, no matter what Fred says to me, there is always an unmistakable glint of hope in his eyes when he talks to me. It is unmistakable. It is the glint of hope. It is the glint of joy of somebody who knows that despite the fact that his loved one is no longer here with him, she is better off with God. And her body, which was broken for 20 years, is now made whole. The Lord delights in Tiffany, who is skipping along in heaven as we speak.